Gotta take a big sip before uh, you know, before we start here. Close that up. What's up, everybody? Hobby with Cage, episode nine. Can't believe I've already done nine of these solo episodes. I hope you guys are enjoying them. Um, got great feedback. Um, can't really say nine solo, right? We've had, uh, you know, of the eight, we've had three non-solos, right? Black Jaded Wolf. We had two guest episodes. I think uh, coming up, we'll have Black Jaded Wolf again. So, you know, you have to bear with me today. Just me talking. But I do have some topics, and if you've tuned in here because of the title, might as well start off with this: the hobby obituary. And you know, why am I why am I talking about the hobby obituary? And it's a it's a uh, it's a common note I'm going to hit throughout this episode, right? Not because I think the hobby is dying, because I watched the um, the Berkshire Hathaway shareholder meeting this weekend. Um, and on Saturday, I was watching a question and answer, um, and it really got me thinking about a lot of stuff. But one of the things, and you know, say what you want about Warren Buffett, you know, he's not everybody's cup of tea. Um, you know, one of the things that he said was, you know, I guess someone asked me his kind of thoughts on life, right? And it was, um, you should write your obituary and then try to figure out a way to go and live up to it. Interesting, right? You know, we don't really think about that. We think about, you know, waking up, spending, you know, your day doing whatever you're doing, going to sleep, waking up, hit and repeat, doing it again, and, you know, you build a life out of it, right? But this was an interesting one, and I, it, it kind of stopped me for a second. I'm like, all right, well, if I were to write my obituary, what would it be, you know? I'm going to take it down into its other layers. And then it had me thinking about, Episode 7, which, wow, if you haven't watched yet, please watch. To everybody who's watched and commented and has sent me messages, feedback, pictures, thank you. Um, really hit home with a lot of people, which is just great. Um, you know, we talked about um, we talked about Hezbollah and Monopoly and that kind of stuff, but really how to audit a collection, how to, you know, emotional buying and all that other fun stuff. And um, But ultimately, a lot of people used it for, you know, for the suggestions that I had in there. And it's funny because another way of putting it is kind of hobby advice that Buffett gave. But instead of writing an obituary, write out that list of cards, that list of, you know, the, the, the PC you want to have, right? You know, the, the collectors, will, we'll call them coffin cards, right? So there is sort of like that similarity between, you know, write your obituary, what you want people to say about you when you're gone. You know, what is it that you want to check off? Um, you know, good dad, good husband, you know, those are one and two for me. Right. And, um, you know, what are yours, but then for a hobby, all right. Is it, uh, a Michael Jordan PMG? Is it a, you know, is it a prism gold or one of one of one of your, like, I would almost write that hobby coffin list. I'm not going to say obituary, but write out that list. You know, we talk about kind of like a top 10 of the cards that you want to own, how many of them don't you own? For a lot of people, it's 10. And it's funny how we get into that, right? Because you probably have spent more money in the hobby already than it would take to buy some of those cards on that list. But you're sitting here with a collection of cards that you spent X money on that if you really could just snap your fingers right now, you'd move that X money into something else. You'd move it into this, this list. It got me thinking 
you know, how do we get there? Because we talked about, you know, emotional buying and like, you know, bidding more than you wanted to at the end of an auction. And we talked about, you know, kind of auditing your collection and making that top 10 list for yourself. But it, it got me thinking about kind of how my collection has gotten there and how, you know, if I could snap my fingers right now and move this stack of cards and just, okay, automatically it turns into money and it, I'm able to buy this other card with it. It's not the way it works, but if we could, what, well, then how did I end up with this stack of cards and not this one card that I own? And one of the things that I came up with was I'll watch auctions. I'll go in an auction and it's non-guided, right? And this is the second half of that top 10 list, right? Where we talked about sell these cards you don't really want anymore for whatever reason. They don't fit in your collection. They don't fit in your PC. And then use the money to go and buy these cards on the top 10 list. Okay, that's step one. Step two, it's, I can always say I'm going to eat healthy, but when the Chick-fil-A comes, you know, what's a guy to do, right? So now I have this plan. I have this, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to buy, use the money that I've sold these cards with to buy these top 10. But then you know what? An auction comes up and I'm scrolling through it. And I didn't see one of those cards from my top 10. I didn't see those from my top 10, but you know what? I, I, I see this other card and it's really cheap. I mean, I like Peyton Manning. It's not a Peyton Manning that I would have wanted. I, I like Ken Griffey Jr. It's not. It's not a Griffey that's on my list. But can it really be that cheap? Like, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go for it. And you kind of get caught up and you get sidetracked. And that's, I guess, part two, right? And that's how you end up with this stack of cards that aren't your list. They're nice. You like them at the time. Maybe they were a bargain. Maybe you thought they were a bargain. Maybe you're like, oh, this is a, this is a great opportunity on this one. That's kind of part two on this. And it's why you use that, that list as kind of writing your obituary ahead of time. Use that list as these are the cards I'm going to buy. And if I don't see those 10 cards, one of those cards from my top 10 list or 15 or 20, whatever you want to put together in the auction, sorry about that, move to a different auction. You do not have to go and find a bargain at the back of that. Now, I'm as guilty, if not guiltier, of this than anyone in the world. I find cool-looking Griffey cards and Jordan cards and you name it in these auctions, and I buy them because I think they're cool. But it's sort of sidetracking you, isn't it? And it, it, you know, I did some thinking about this, right? Because it was a cool saying, and I'm like, this is what I've done the last couple of years. And those fifty, hundred, two hundred, five hundred thousand dollar cards in each one of these auctions, they add up, and before you know it. Sure, you got this cool Griffey. You got this cool. You got a nice collection of all these Griffies, and 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 you know maybe you found a couple of cool rookie cards. They're not the ones you wanted, and you've you've ended up spending more on this collection of cards that you didn't actually want. <laughs> I mean, you wanted them at the time, but they've prevented you now from getting that one big card, that obituary card. I'm going to call it. I'm coming up with a new a new uh, a new card saying, a new a new term, and. It's one of those things, right? We talked about like, you know, how you get there and okay, sell these cards. And but we didn't talk about how you got to the spot where you have this big stack of cards that you're now willing to sell and how you avoid just falling into the same trap. And and you know, it's an interesting kind of thing. I just wanted to layer that in there, you know, after episode seven, because everybody kind of really was, I got so many pictures. Here's the stack that's gotta move. Here's the stack, and here's my list. Here's my top 10 list. What do you think of my top 10? What do you think of, I have these two. I got to get these eight. Which one do you think I should go after first? 
Well, it depends on how much money you have. It depends on, you know, what you sell, you know, how you rearrange your collection, a bunch of stuff. But I've had so many great conversations around that. that I kind of want to layer this in too, right? It's, it's, you know, once you, once you set the plan in motion and you've sold that stack, how do you prevent yourself from falling right back into the same routine where you're buying that stack again, because they look like bargains and it's, it's tough because, that golden auction, that weekly looks real good. That PWCC weekly auction, there's a card in there that you didn't even know existed. Oh my goodness. I, I didn't even know this card was out there. I got to go grab it. Put those blinders on. Write out your obituary. Write out that card list first and then work towards it, right? Figure out a way to work towards it. Don't get too sidetracked. Now I'm not saying don't have fun and buy some cards. We all do it. That's kind of fun of the hobby. But on this particular thing, right, if you're going to set that goal and your goal is getting these five, eight, 10 cards, stick to it. Otherwise, you're just going to find yourself having a hard time you know, veering down the same thing. And then uh, in three months or six months or a year later, you're going to be back to the same thing, selling those same cards again that you didn't really want, but you thought were bargains and you'd be in the same spot. So nothing wrong with it. I guess it's fun. You know, it's a, it's a fun way of, 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 of hobbying, but it's just, it's, it's funny. And that's what I thought of watching Berkshire Hathaway. I'm that nerd. I'm watching the, uh, you know, them talk about earnings and what stocks to buy and the whole deal. And here I am thinking, all right, well, this now layers on some additional detail into, into what we talked about. One other thing, and this I'm really guilty of, guys. And it, I'm not going to give advice, right? Because I don't know the right answer. And I, if I did, I would just buy the right ones myself. But it's funny to think about. You know, I started putting money in the market, you know, selling some cards, putting money in the stock market and thinking, all right, I'm smart. I'm going to find these bargains. I'm going to find a stock that's been beat down. I'm going to be a contrarian play. I'm going to do this, this, and this. And then I listen to Buffett and Munger and they talk about how every quarter they're basically increasing their share of Apple and that, you know, Berkshire Hathaway like 38 or 39% of their holdings right now are in Apple stock. They're a huge Apple holder and they add to it whenever they can. And I look back to when I started putting money in the market to, and you know, I'm doing okay, but some stuff is down. Some stuff is slightly up. I've got some dividends and whatnot, but I look at what Apple was when I started putting money in the market and it was in the one twenties. I look at what Apple is now and it's in the one seventies. And I pause for a second and I think this isn't much different than cards. Sure, cards fluctuate, the market fluctuates. We've had a, a bigger run up, you know, in the hobby over the last couple of years than, than the stock market did, right? But take it down to a more micro level. The quality assets, the quality assets do well and you don't have to overthink it. One of the other things they said was, you know, kind of, uh, you know, if your if your investments are keeping you up at night, they're not good investments, right? They're not an investment you should be in. Um, and here I am. I know you can't time the market, and who knows what happens. Apple might come crashing down next week. But if you look at it now, I'm like, why am I trying to outsmart it? Why am I looking for that that you know that beat down stock that's about to get a turnaround? You know, the one that everyone else is overlooking. It's sort of like forgetting what we've talked about on the show a bunch of times about don't you know hit the hit the puck where where it's going to be like you know you, you don't want to just want what you want you want to want what everybody wants right you want to be in the right thing you want to buy the goats you know you want to buy the classic stuff 
So it's just another thing that I thought of, and it kind of, you know, struck me again on the hobby side of, you know, sometimes I think we try to complicate things more than they need to be. Um, and there's my, I'm going to stop with the, you know, you didn't, you didn't turn into like, you know, to CNBC or, you know, a business channel here, but it's funny how I watch this, you know, this Berkshire Hathaway stuff. And I think hobby, 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 hobby. So some fun news stuff, right? Let's talk about obituaries. I don't have details, but I will make a, um, a clippable moment here that if anybody wants to clip, you know, this next minute here and send it out to anyone they know at collectible, I'll be doing the same. Um, you know, interesting things going on in the fractional space and it's worth talking about it, right? I don't know that anybody else is talking about it, uh, with the exception of maybe some, you know, some Twitter accounts. Um, MT trading is one that does a good job of putting that stuff out there. They've called me out a couple of times, but you got to give them credit where credit's due. Um, you know, they've been kind of, you know, calling this, um, for a while now. Um, my take on the fractional space is I think it's a good idea. I really do for the right items you see on Rally Road with uh, what well, I have the Declaration of Independence over there. That's obviously doing well. It's the right kind of item where you or I most likely couldn't buy it, but it's cool to own shares in it. A, you know, a, a Honus Wagner, you know, that type of thing that's, you know, millions of dollars and never going to be seen by us, but you can invest in a portion of it. it. I think it makes sense. I think collectible was a victim of timing as well. Um, you know, bringing a lot of these items, a lot of these assets out in a um a run-up um i'm not going to call it a bubble but people have used that 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 word but basically in a bubble where you know valuations were high and you know everyone winds up being underwater um and that's look uh, i think less than a year ago i was still doing shows talking about what was up and what was down haven't done it since last summer um but you know we obviously talked about collectible and the items on that platform on this show um Last week, a lot of their trading, you know, secondary trading was halted. I think they're back up and running. They filed some stuff with the SEC. I'm not going to go into it because I'm just not, that's not my area of expertise. Um, but, you know, I'd welcome someone from Collectible coming on and kind of talking about what's going on with their, you know, with their business and that kind of stuff. Um, and I will send some messages out to them also and invite them on to kind of talk as well because that's what we try to do, right? I mean, I'm sure there are folks listening to this who have some, you know, some funds in the collectible platform. I've heard some talk about, you know, them seeking liquidity opportunities and that kind of stuff, which would be interesting to watch. But obviously, you know, that platform is not doing what people had hoped, not doing what people had expected. Um, so it's something I'll keep my eye on and I'm sure we'll talk about in future episodes. But I just definitely want to throw, you know, throw that one out there because it's it's definitely a timely, um, you know, item. Um don't know that it'll make my hobby news yet just because I don't have news to report. But what will make my hobby news is Fanatics. Fanatics announced, uh, you know, their live streaming, live selling platform, um, you know, is going to be up and running, I think, in the second half of the year. And it looks like they've kind of invited people to, um, you know, kind of fill out a survey. I looked at the survey. I don't know exactly where I would fit, right? Uh, it was, you know, it was like, you know, do you want to sell on that platform? And then tell me about your experience, right? I'm a pro. I've I've broken products before. I'm a pro. I don't know if I could click that. I mean, I've sold on whatnot. I've done, you know, dozens of shows on whatnot. I've broken boxes on 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 whatnot and on other live platforms as well. Um, so I guess I'm a pro per se. But I mean, it's not that's not what I do. I don't break, you know, for uh, professionally. 
right? Um, you know, broken a few boxes here and there, sold some singles and, you know, did a content show. Um, not exactly sure that that's the folks that I, you know, that, that I'm the guy that they're looking for. Didn't know exactly how to fill it out. So I haven't filled it out yet. Um, but it's interesting. It's interesting news coming in right into, um, into a space that I don't want to say is crowded, but there's obviously more than a couple of live selling platforms. eBay has one. Um, you know, the, the car shop live is out there. Obviously whatnot is out there. Now fanatics will have their own. And it begs a question, a question that I don't have an answer to, but you guys tune in to hear my thoughts. So I'll give you my thoughts. Fanatics coming into the space does beg a question. And that is what happens to the other folks in that space. And to be more specific, Fanatics is going to be the ones producing the product, right? Panini right now did not have their own live platform to sell on the Panini platform. So if you were getting Panini products, you could sell it on whatever platform you wanted. And I'm sure Panini was agnostic to what platform you sold it on. If Fanatics is going to be producing the products and then also have a live selling platform, the question I ask is, Will getting the product require you to sell on their platform? I think if I was Fanatics, I would do that because clearly that's a way to keep people on your platform. It's a way to sell on your platform. I don't know what they plan to do, but it is something that I am interested in seeing how it plays out. I'll say that. I'm sure that the other um, platforms are also likewise interested to see how that plays out um, because it impacts them, right? And... um, you know, in addition to the other platforms, I'm sure some of the breakers out there are interested to see how it plays out. Is getting a product going to come with strings attached? I don't know the answer to this, right? But I can see a world where Fanatics is telling breakers, sure, you can get product, but if you are breaking this product, you have to break it on our platform. And that's a kind of a different world than what we're living in presently. I don't think that um, that there's that type of restriction out there now. Um, we are all existing in a hobby with battle lines being drawn, right? You're this grading company or that grading company, this auction house or that auction house. To date, I mean, barring a few, I'm sure there's some exclusive uh, agreements with some of these um, you know, live selling platforms, but I don't know that you know, that folks have really been, all right, in order to break here, you, you know, in order to get your product, you have to break here. I don't, I don't think that that a hobby has, that the hobby has seen that, um, so far it happens, right? I mean, it it definitely happens, right? And, or, um, there are exclusive deals out there just to go back and bring it all full circle, like a Seinfeld episode. One of the questions that was asked of, of, uh, of Warren Buffett was, I think they have like, you know, different clothing that, that they own, Fruit of the Loom. And I think they were talking about Granimals, which I guess is a kid's clothing line. They were saying that Granimals is only sold through Walmart. How come? And Buffett talked about how, you know, Walmart does a good enough job of selling it for them. They make enough money just doing it through Walmart. So they only provide that product to Walmart. I'm not an expert in it, but it made sense. Same type of thing here, right? I mean, it would make sense for fanatics to say, if you're getting Fanatics product, you're breaking on the Fanatics platform, right? You know, I don't think that um, they would want their product going to somebody who is then breaking it on a competitor. That's, you know, it's kind of the way that it goes, right? Um, you know, exclusive deals are a thing of of big business. I go to Disney World all the time. 
if I go to Disney World and I buy a soda for, you know, $5.75 or whatever it is they're up to now charging, soda looks like this. You're not buying a Pepsi on a Disney property. Just they have an exclusive deal. That's kind of the way that it works. Um, and now I'm not going to take a sip of this because I feel bad if I do that. But I really want one. I'm just going to let you know that. So anyway, so we've talked about a little Warren Buffett and right in your obituary. We've talked about, you know, collectible, fractional, that space and kind of, you know, I don't have an answer there. I hope to get an answer. The answer on 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 um, on Fanatics Live, that'll come. I mean, if they're releasing, you know, going forward, um, I'm sure we're going to see what kind of requirements come you know, along with breaking on their platform, along with selling on that platform, it's going to be it's going to be an interesting thing to see play out over the next couple of years. Um, you know, as they're both producing the product and they are, um, you know, selling it on their platform or having their people sell it on their platform. We've seen, I guess, something. You know, I don't want to call it similar, right? You know, Panini did sell their product. You know, in like what do they call them, a reverse auction type of thing. You know, like a you know, first off the line and it's decreasing, decreasing, you buy it directly from them. And you know, the tops obviously sells product direct on their platform. But as far as breaking goes, which is, the, you know, a different thing, right? As far as, you know, getting into breaks, a player break, a team break, um, you know, that in and of itself, I think it's going to be an interesting thing to watch going forward. Leaves me with one last topic. Um, haven't really spoke about this. I did mention it in my news segment last week, but just kind of, you know, glossing over it. And I've got a lot of people asking me questions about this. Um, the Evan Mathis trimming, uh, video. And then he had an appearance on uh, sports card nonsense. My good friend, Mike and Jesse over there. Um, haven't been on their show in a couple of weeks. Maybe I'll invite myself back on, uh, happy to come on anytime guys. I know you don't want to come here, but so, they actually did a very good job. It was a good interview. Um, and I would recommend folks go and watch it. I know that sounds weird that here I am, you know, trying to, um, you know, get as much engagement and people listening to my stuff and I'm sending you over to another another podcast. But um, I think there's room for you guys to get your your card information from all over the place. But I think they did a very good job of it. And I'm, I have no problem saying that. I think they did a good job interviewing. And from a... a um, different perspectives, right? Jesse was sort of trying to, you know, be informed on trimming and sort of the the history and the hobby. And Mike was almost kind of like, you know, what about some accountability? And Mathis, I think he quoted Yoda six or seven times. No, at least twice though, uh, which was fun to listen to. Um, he sounds like he'd be friends with Aaron Rodgers in a cave somewhere, if I'm being honest. Um, it's probably going to prevent him from coming on my show, but it is what it is. But I mean, it's interesting. I don't want to call it a lack of accountability. He was very careful, right? Because he did not say he's trimmed any cards. He did not say he's trimmed any valuable cards, you know, and everybody is kind of putting that out there and saying like, well, I mean, clearly this guy trimmed all these cards. Look at all these great cards he has. And look at the blowout forums. At one point, he said the only card I've ever posted a video of, you know, trimming or is the one that you just saw that, you know, I think it was a 65 tops, nobody, no name. and. You know, even go as far as to say, you know, I know people who do this stuff who've been in the hobby, but they won't tell me anything. They'll never admit to a trimming. They'll never do this. So it's funny because I don't know the end game. I don't know what the point of it all was, right? I don't know why come out and do a video now about this and yet still not cop to anything or, 
or, or point fingers at anyone or say, by the way, this slab here is a problem or so. So what's the end game? Is it, is it education? You know, is it, was it anger? Uh, he mentioned a couple of times that um, I think he's banned from personally submitting to, um, to PSA. And I think he, he asked for that to be revoked and I don't think it was, I mean, maybe he's angry about that. I, I, I find myself wondering when people do things, okay, what's the end game? You know, what's a win for them here? Um, why do this and why do it now? And it's very rare that I can't put my finger on the why. You know, usually you'll follow the trail of the money or the dollars and you'll get to the why. Uh, this is a former NFL player who's probably made plenty of money selling cards as well as when he played in the NFL. And posting a video of how to trim, you know, an, an old card. Um, I don't. I mean, I guess he became relevant. He showed back up on the uh, on the map a little bit, and he, he was on sports card nonsense. But I don't see a, you know, a monetary gain for him there. I mean, I don't. I don't see a positive that comes out of it. I see a, a negative for the hobby overall. Um, and that's part of the thing that scared me about it. It's, I don't know if people even understand just kind of, you know, how the history of the hobby, right? How, um, how there's been a lot of that. There's been a lot of interesting things that have gone on in the hobby. I'll say that. And as we try to go mainstream, as you know, to go back to the last topic, fanatics tries to bring more fans in and turn them into collectors. The more of that kind of stuff that they find, the tougher it is as a um, a new entrant into the space to have trust and confidence in what it is you're buying. Because I've been doing this for decades, and I found myself watching that um, you know video and then listening to the interview saying, "All right, I've owned a lot of my cards for a long time. Do I have to go and check them out? Like, should, should I get my tape measure out and 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 make sure none of my cards in in slabs are short or they've been trimmed? And the honest answer is, you kind of never never gonna know. I don't think. You know what I mean? Like, I went on blowout. I mean, I remember five, six, seven years ago when you know the blowout detective agents were were doing a great job of showing, hey, this card potentially is trimmed. You name it. But you know, the vast majority of these cards are not numbered. Right. And it, it's just someone's opinion. It's 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 um, anyway, I, I'll digress into that. And kind of what I want to do for for this is maybe give my stance on it. Right. Um, because then you get people asking me questions. I think uh, the two thick guys, another podcast you can kind of listen to. They did a live uh, this weekend, um, you know, Manny and Courtney and Jeremy um, talking about you know, trimming versus kind of like cleaning cards or storing cards. I've had so many conversations with people who've been in the hobby for a long time about what you should and should not be able to do with a card. And then comparing it to the art world where art gets restored all the time and comics where comics get restored. But the difference, of course, there is when you have a restored comic, it's noted, right? It says restored. You know, there are cards that have been restored that say it, but there are cards that are touched that are slabbed and you don't know about. And then you kind of run the gamut, right? What is and is not okay, you know, from the beginning of now we have these shiny cards. Is it okay to take a microfiber, you know, cloth and kind of clean smudges or fingerprints on a card, fingerprints that might have been there from the factory, from the person putting it in a pack or, you know, cutting it or whatever it might be, right? Uh, maybe a breaker. Um, is it okay to do that? 
I think 99% of people would say that that is okay, right? You know, cleaning a card off a little bit. The other end of the spectrum of, you know, taking a card and slicing the card, you know, laser slicing or, you know, using dental tools to kind of, you know, to kind of cut this, you know, the, the mathis type of stuff and, the, you know, emery boards and that kind of stuff. I think 99% of the people would say that that is something that you can't do. As you start to move towards the center of that, though, is that gray area where people are okay with, people are not okay with, you know, coming from the microfiber, you know, now it's putting a product on it. You know, we've, we've talked about Kurt's card care, right? You know, is it okay to put sort of like a scratch filler on there that kind of like does like a micro abrasion on the card and kind of, you know, fills in, a, fills in, a, you know, a scratch on, on, on a chromium card. I don't know what the percentage would be there. Maybe 85% of people would say that that's good and 15% of people say it's not. I don't know what the number on that would be. Um, but obviously it's a sliding scale, you know, and, and probably the more you're doing to a card to alter it from the way it came from the factory, the less people are going to be okay with it. The more people are going to find it objectionable. Um, if you haven't watched the video yet, it's definitely interesting. It's definitely an interesting video to watch because, you know, there are people probably in the hobby who have been here for not that long that don't know that that kind of stuff went on, that that kind of stuff, you know, is a part of the history of, you know, the hobby itself. Um, I think you might be surprised at how nonchalant um, it's portrayed in the video, right? Because a lot of people do hold this stuff pretty, you know, pretty sacred. And say, you know, what are you doing here? You know, this is a card, you know, and somebody's paying a lot of money for it. And, you know, it's being slabbed. And, you know, when it's slabbed, you know, it adds value to it. And if it's really trimmed, then it's really not, doesn't have that value. And it, it will get you starting to ask questions about the hobby in general, the value we place in, you know, card grading. Um, and, um, you know, I guess how difficult that job is, right. And, you know, how you need to be, uh, you know, kind of, aware of what the heck is going on there so i i would implore people if you haven't seen that one to take a watch with no conclusions like i don't really have a conclusion for you other than it's scary and for someone like me who owns cards that are not numbered um you know cards that 52 tops cards are slightly larger right and and those were not cut by computers they were cut by you know just the random individuals in the tops factory and some of them are cut big and i'm sure that um you know, people will, uh, you know, there are people who have trimmed the larger cards down to make you know, a card that would have been a three look like a seven because they're just redoing the edge. Lucky for me, the mantle that I own is pretty badly off-centered. And if somebody wanted to <laughs> trim that to make it look better, they probably would have already done it and made it look a lot better than what mine looks like. But I mean, you know, it it it, it does make you start asking questions. So I'll, I'll end it with that, guys. I try not to be longer than a half an hour on these. Um, we've covered a lot of stuff from Buffett to collectible, from fanatics to, you know, trimming cards to, you know, all that other fun stuff. Um, you know, we talked about, you know, write your own obituary, right? And then try to live up to it. Um, I don't want my obituary to say that I'm messing with cards. <laughs> uh, I'm not trimming cards. I'm not cleaning cards. I'm not doing any of that stuff with the cards. I'll say that much. Um but it's definitely interesting to see this stuff go on because at the same time that we're trying to bring people in, I think that that does create a barrier, right, to entry. 
it's hard enough to learn about the hobby and learn about grading and learn about, you know, what makes something valuable. Um, and the difference in value between a six, seven, eight, nine, and a 10. And then to, you know, at the same time, you know, see a video out there that talks about, you know, something that was a six becoming an eight allegedly because of somebody doctoring a card, trimming a card. Um, just interesting stuff to think about. I hope you guys enjoyed this. I'll be back uh, hopefully next episode with Black Jaded Wolf, doing a Black Jaded Wolf Uncaged. Um, and we can talk about the lead up to, I think the next big show is the Dallas show. I think that's May 18th to the 20th or something like that. So that's coming right around the corner. And uh, yeah, hope you guys enjoyed it. Let me know what you think. Let me know if you watched the um, the the Evan Mathis um, interview with Sports Card Nonsense or his video. Let me know what you think. Just because I can't figure out what the end game is doesn't mean you can't. And I'd love to have a conversation with you guys about that. And if you want to tell me on the sliding scare where you fall, that's great too. We get great comments here on YouTube or you can send me a DM. You know, what are you okay with? And what aren't you okay with? Where's Where do you draw that line on what's okay to do to a card? Thanks, guys. That's been another episode of The Hobby with Cage. And uh, I think right after we post this one, our Hobby uh, News Weekly update will come out. I haven't recorded it yet. I'm trying to figure out what's newsworthy this week. But go uh, head on over to Instagram and check that one out. Give it a like and share it as well. Thanks, everybody.